0: It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step onto the road and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you'll be swept off to. That's what Gandalf the Grey told Frodo Baggins at the beginning of their adventure. Have you ever felt like life is like that road? Like you've been swept away, you don't know where you're going, you don't know where to put your feet to hold on? Well, that's what we're here for today. We're here to talk about the Wildwood, where all the crazy things happen, where all the wild stuff happens, and you just don't know which direction to go. Today, I'm going to bring you some words from the Wildwood that'll help you keep your feet. Welcome back, everybody, to our podcast. Today, we are taking our journey through the gospel of John, seeing all the intricacies that he has laid out there for us to know better the God that we serve. Now, you know, there are some phrases in Christianity that seem to evoke a powerful response in the non-Christian community. They de- they spark a debate because I think People used to understand the language of the Bible, even if they weren't true believers. But today, the words of the Bible are so strange, so foreign, it's as if we're speaking a different language. In the old days, everybody understood what was being said. Nowadays, there are even many people within the church, those who attend services every week, who, if put right to it, could not define a phrase like born again. I remember, and I'm this old, I remember when Jimmy Carter became president of the United States. He was interviewed by a magazine, and he referred to himself as a born-again Christian. And I remember that there was a firestorm that erupted right after that. People didn't know what it meant back in the 70s to be born again. Why do I have to be born again? How can I be born again? What does it mean to be born again? Why? Why must I be born again? You would think in a country that had as its foundation the belief in the God of the Bible that there would be some basic understanding of it even if you didn't yourself believe in it. But early in Jesus' ministry, he made it clear that his call to men, his call would cause people to make a choice. John the baptizer, of course, was in the River Jordan. He was baptizing people to renounce their sin, to cleanse themselves, to get ready for the coming of Messiah. And now that the Messiah had come, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the earth, then now that he had come, he was going to call them to make a very hard Definitive decision. He was not going to be a way to God, which is what people in our modern society want. They want a way to God. But he was going to be the way, the only way that we could get to the Father. Now, if we're going to live in the world that Jesus laid out for us in the book of John, chapter 3, there are three decisions that each of us must make. This is Christian or non Christian. When you come to this understanding. You must decide how you come down on these three questions. The very first question is this. You are either born again or you are not. So what are you? Are you born again or not? Let's take a look at it today. John chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. This first decision that you must answer if you're going to live in a world where such a phrase exists. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you do unless God were with him. Stop right there. Something interesting. For many years, people believed that Nicodemus was cowardly. Why would he come to Jesus at night? Why wouldn't he come to him in the middle of the day when people were around, when everybody could see who he was and what he was asking? Why would you come at night unless you were afraid? But consider this. It was a common practice for people to not bother the rabbis during the day. When Jesus was teaching publicly, when he was speaking to people, they didn't want to interrupt him. They didn't want their question to be received and hastily answered. They didn't want to rush that interaction. Nicodemus may not have come to Jesus because he was afraid. He may have come to Jesus at night to give Jesus time to step back, slow down, and give him the answer that he's really looking for. So he really says, you must be from God, Rabbi, because we know that no one could do the things that you do. You wouldn't be causing the stir. You wouldn't be igniting the hearts of people unless God has sent you. Then, in verse three, Jesus replied, "Truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God." Wow, what a strange thing to say. Nicodemus has asked. We know the sure from God. He's made this statement. What he's asking is are you from God? Are you really the one we're waiting for? Are you really the Messiah? He's saying it. We know you are, but he's he's wanting him to answer and say, yes, I am. Oh, good job. You figured it out. Now he says right here, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse four says this. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him, Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whoever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whoever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Another very cryptic kind of response Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin, the 70 ruling elders of Israel. He was very adept at the word of God, the Old Testament, the Torah, especially the first five books. So he knew these things that were of God. He knew the basic foundation. So Jesus is not speaking to someone who is completely in the dark. He is speaking to someone who should understand the words that he's using. If you get around a lot of pastors, they start throwing around throwing around a lot of big words. You'll sometimes hear the word soteriology. Soteriology is the study of salvation, which is exactly what we're talking about right here. You don't have to use big words to communicate, but sometimes people who are accustomed to those words can use them without even thinking about it. So what's being asked here? What's going on? He says, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now remember, Jesus has just gone to John the baptizer. He's gone down. He has been baptized for the remission of sin, which was basically a process people would undergo. The mikvah would be used to ceremonially clean people before some special event, some special ritual. And it was, it was meant to show that the person was serious and committed to coming into contact with God. Even the high priest himself would be mikvahed. Before he would go into the presence of God on special holy days, when he would enter the holy of holies and make sacrifice for the people of Israel, so you see, it's an important thing. It's showing that there's definitely this importance that's going on. And now Nicodemus would have known this super well. He would have known exactly what he was seeing. So basically, when we go back to Nicodemus's question, how can tr- how can someone be born again a second time? Can he enter his mother's womb? He's asking kind of a silly way of saying, hey, how can I become a Jew, which is what the mikvah was to the Gentile. To the Gentile, they had to be circumcised, and then they had to accept the law of Moses by being baptized in these mikvahs, and then going back out into the world. Remember, we said the rabbis would say, you were born a Gentile, but now you are born again. A Jew, you were born again a Jew. So now you're the people of God. Now you have a right to come into God's presence, and that's exactly what's saying. So Nicodemus is like, wait a minute, but Rabbi, I'm already a Jew. I'm already an outstanding Jew. I'm an amazing Jew, member of the Sanhedrin. Everyone knows me. Everyone loves me. And he says, how can I become a Jew when I'm already one? See now. The thing is, Jesus wants him to go beyond the conventions of being a, a a racial Jew by being someone who was born an ethnic Jew, someone who's of the Jewish lineage, go beyond that and see that there's more to that relationship with God than just where you're born. It's like saying, if you're born in America, you must be a Christian. That is such a lie. And in our day and age today, we know that Americans come from all different religious backgrounds. Americans come from all different parts of the world. Uh, They are Americans because they choose to live here. They choose to uphold the principles of this country. And it doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what language you native speak. And it doesn't matter what religion you practice. Americans are Americans. But to come into God's presence, to become his child, you have to be more than just born In Israel. Consider 1 John 5 1 and 2. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Okay, there we are. Whatever you were before, whatever ethnicity, whether you're Greek or Scythian or whatever people group you were, now you are born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Because all those who are born of God, all those who are born by faith, you see, we're related. We're family. No matter what part of the world you're from, what language you speak, we are family. And that's what is so important. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. So in 1 John, he's, he's talking about the, uh, the, the, the faithfulness that we express, the, the family devotion when we say, hey, we're all the children of God because we've accepted Jesus Christ. And we're going to follow that up by living it out. If you think about the whole mikvah process, it does represent cleansing, but also a birth and re, a death and a rebirth type of picture. That's why in the Christian church, we baptize in a pool, we lay someone down, and we say, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. We do that as a symbol that whatever we were, whatever had been in our life, now we pass beyond that to go somewhere else. Consider Ephesians 2 four through seven. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were, here we are, dead in our trespasses, our relationship to God did not exist because we were sinners. We were those who chose to do things our own way, chose to have our own mindset, chose to choose our own standard of righteousness. We were dead in our trespasses, but we were made alive together with Christ. Because Jesus took the punishment for our sin, our separation, now we are united together and with our Savior Jesus Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him, seating us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable graces and the riches of his kindness toward us, in Christ Jesus. Wow, there is so much there. You were dead, now you are alive. There's the answer to Nicodemus's question, how can I become a Jew when I'm already a Jew? You're not. You're dead in your trespasses, even though you were born of the seed of Abraham. And that's why you have to go beyond those conventions, go beyond those things that were so important to the Jews of the first century. They had to go beyond that and see that it was faith and a relationship with Jesus Christ. So the very first thing, the very first question, you are either born again or you are not. You can't be both. You can't be in the middle. So are you born again or are you not? Answer that question and you're on your way. Second question. Now you either understand what it means to be a Christian or you do not. So do you understand it? Do you understand this process of being born again? Let's take a look at it. John 3, 7. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So the act of God is, is a very mysterious one. We know God is acting, even though we don't see all of the details behind the scenes. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can these things be? Asked Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Jesus replied. See, that's what amazed Jesus These were the teachers of the law, members of the Sanhedrin. They were the ones to whom people went to figure out their relationship to God and that they were ignorant of the very basic foundational things that bring us into a relationship with God. That's why when I see pastors who make ridiculous statements like, well, I don't think about that. Oh, I don't know about that. Oh, I never looked at that. Oh, I don't like to think about those things because they're uncomfortable. When I see that, I'm like, you're not doing your job. Your job is to struggle with this stuff, get into it, wrestle with it, make sure you understand what you're talking about on Sunday or Wednesday or whenever you step into the pulpit or you put yourself on a microphone like this, you have to know, be settled in your heart with what the word of God is saying. And that way you can communicate it effectively. He says, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. Jesus is saying, hey, I've been there. I've seen it. I've seen the father. I know everything that's going on. Yet you who should know, you can't even accept my testimony as someone who was there. Verse 12, if I have told you about earthly things like the baptism, the mikvah, the the ceremonial washing, and you don't know or you don't believe, how will you believe when I tell you about heavenly things? Wow. Jesus is saying, this is basic stuff. This is the ABCs of being a child of God. And if you don't get that. How can you know the deeper things when I tell you that God is going to reach beyond Israel? He's going to reach into the hearts of Gentiles. He's going to reach into foreign lands to hateful people, and he's going to redeem them to himself. How will you believe if I tell you these heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And right there is a beautiful picture of why Jesus had to come. Only the son, the one who knew the father, the one who was the second member of the Trinity, only he could come to earth, communicate the truth, and then reascend into heaven to be the one who stands at the father's right hand to make admonition for us, to step in there and, and to be our defender, to be our counselor when we mess up and when we have those days. So he's really saying, you know, there is so much at stake here. You have to know this stuff. Consider Psalm 51. 6-12. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Now look at the words that are used here and apply them to the whole mikveh process, the whole baptism. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Whenever blood was spilled in an area, that area was defiled. Hyssop was used to cleanse, ceremonially cleanse that property or that land or that building. When people were slaughtered in the temple... They had to cleanse it, purge it with hyssop, get out the bloodstain, get out the corruption so that it was sacred again It could be used. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, there's your mikvah, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Yes, You have broken me because of my sin, but now let them rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my transgressions. Create in me a clean heart. There it is. There's the rebirth that we see in baptism. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me something I had in the past and now I don't. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, the salvation that you bring, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Psalm 51, as everybody knows who's ever read the book of Psalms, Psalm 51 was David's response to God when Nathan the prophet said, You are that man. You have killed your best friend. You have taken his wife. You have done a horrible thing in the sight of God. When David took Bathsheba and then later had Uriah the Hittite murdered, it was an affront to God. It was an affront to who he was as king, who he should have been as a friend of God. And he said, so you know what you've done now. When David became fully aware of his sin, he wrote these words, purge me, wash me. Let me hear gladness again because my spirit is broken. Hide your face from my sins. Create in me a clean heart. Restore me. That is the cry of everybody who's ever sinned against a holy God. All of these things that we plead for every day, Sunday by Sunday. There's not one person out there listening to my voice, not one of you who hasn't cried out these words to God. This is the cry of salvation. These are the words spoken by the sinner confronted with the holiness of God who needs to be restored. Such powerful words. So let's go on to our third um requirement a third question that third thing that we have to to inquire about ourselves you are either a believer or you are not we're going to come to some very important verses here we're starting off in verse 314 we know of course that John 316 and, and 17 are called the gospel in two verses everyone knows John 316 but do you know that John 316 is almost meaningless without John 3, 17. Let's see why. John three fourteen. just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Here we are, verse 16, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We know that. It's we see it, all the football games written on the cards, 316, 316. People have made jokes about it because they don't understand it. They don't understand what's being offered because they don't read verse 17. Always read verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Do you understand, everybody? Do you understand? There is no other path. There is no other way to get to God except through Jesus, his Son that he sacrificed to make it possible for us to come into his presence. Dirty, torn broken, nasty, all of these things in our conscience, envy, jealousy, strife, horrible things that make us an affront to God. But it's Jesus who makes us acceptable. He's the one who cleanses us. He's that hyssop that wipes away the blood from all the things that we've done in our life. Absolutely amazing. Verse 19, this is judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hides in the darkness thinking that God can't see them. But God can see even in the darkest night. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Notice the work is done by God. See, the whole thing is this. There are those out there who preach, and, and and this confounds me to this day. They preach that God saves us, but we have to do works to remain saved. See, God can save us through the death of his son, is what they say, but we have to do something in order to complete that salvation. We have to go get baptized because without baptism, you can't be saved. Where, where in the word of God does it say something like that? I can't find it anywhere and I've been looking for 30 years. Here's the thing. Jesus did it all. You have been saved by grace through faith. That is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. See, God does it. God ignites the faith. God opens our eyes. He lets us see the truth so that we can come to that truth. Consider Romans 1, 18-21. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. There are those in our culture today, those in our world who try hard to shut down Christianity, to shut down prayer, to shut down churches, to stop the witness of Jesus being spoken, because why? It convicts them. It wounds them. It, it, it hurts their spirit because when they see the purity of Christ, they know the impurity of their own heart. So they, they, they suppress the truth and it goes on for what can be known about God is plain to them. They know there's a God. They just don't want there to be because God has shown it to them for the invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse for, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. You get it. God has shown us in the miracle of our own universe that he is real. That, that, that James Webb Space Telescope that went out there. It's constantly finding stuff that shouldn't be there. It is showing us images that shouldn't exist. It is showing us things that can't be because our own human conception of how things happen, how things evolved, how things came into existence out of nothing, their perception is not backed up by what we find right there in space. We can't see the truth. But are we willing to accept the truth? That's the big question. Consider Job 24, 13 through 17. There are those who rebel against the light and are not acquainted with its ways and do not stay in its paths. The murderer rises before it is light that he may kill the poor and needy and in the night he feels like a thief. The eye of the adulterer also waits for the twilight, saying, No I will see me, and he veils his face. In the dark they dig through houses. They d- By day they shut themselves up. They do not know the light, for deep darkness is the morning of all of them. So when it gets dark, that's when they come to life. For they are friends with the terrors of deep darkness. I love that statement. It's the truth. We will do anything at night because we think we're not going to get caught. I think it's hysterical that today in our day and age, we have so many of these infrared vision cameras and night vision cameras and so many home security devices. People do stop it. They just... They steal stuff off porches. They commit crimes right there on the street, right in front of a dozen cameras that catch their image. And they go, oh, you're not supposed to be able to see me. There was not supposed to be anybody around. But the eye of the camera is always there. And in the same way, the eye of God sees everything that we do. You can't hide from him. Every Christian knows that when there is sin in the heart, when there is mistakes, when there is anger, frustration, jealousy, Whenever those things rise up in us and we sit there and we fume in the darkness, we fume and we just go over things in our heart, God sees the turmoil and he will, see, he will soothe our hearts if we allow him, if we open ourselves, if we show him our pain. So often we'd rather sit there and seethe about it and be angry and plot revenge and I'm going to get this person if it's the last thing I do and that is just terrible So that's the whole point. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. You see, here's the thing. You are not innocent until proven guilty. In the reality of who God is, how he made the universe, how he set his laws down, you are already guilty until Christ declares you innocent. Do you understand? There are no innocent people. Those who have reached an age where they understand right from wrong, where they understand that what they're doing is wrong, that they are lying, cheating, stealing, running around behind someone's back. When they know it, they're already guilty. They're already condemned. We say, well, what about the people in the world out there who don't know that it's wrong and they don't know Jesus's name and they don't know, you know what? They will be judged by what they do. Nobody goes to hell because they don't know Jesus's name. They go to hell because they sin against the holy God and they know it. They know that there's something not right in them. They know that there's something not right in what they do. We've encountered enough people groups in the world in far distant places and there's always that knowledge of something not being right. But it's what can I do about it? How can I make it right? And that's where the name of Jesus comes in. He gives us a way to be cleansed. He gives us a way for things to be made right for us to go forward in that relationship with God. So let's go over it more time. You're either a Oh, I'm sorry. You're either a believer or you're not. And so what are you tonight? Are you a believer or are you not? If you go on, you have to either understand or do you understand what it means to be a Christian right now? Do you understand what it means to be born again? If you understand what it means, then you know whether you're a believer or not. And go all the way back to the first. You are either born again or you are not. You are either found or you are lost. You are either saved or you are condemned. There's no middle path. There's no third way around it. You must accept where you are in the world. You must accept it. Do you today? Do you understand what's wrong? Do you know how to fix it? And Are you willing to allow the Son of God to come into your life and straighten those things out? I leave you with these questions and I pray that God will give you wisdom this week. That he will show you the right answers from his word. I've given you enough scripture tonight for you to go over all week. And I encourage you go over it again, read it again, apply it to your life, apply it to the decisions that you made. You may have been church, you may have been in church your whole life. But maybe until right now you never confronted the question if I stood before God Almighty right now If I stood before him at the gates of heaven and Jesus looks you in the eye and says, why should I let you into my heaven? I pray that you will know the answer. And the answer is, Lord, because you died for me. And that's the only thing that can bring you into the gates of heaven. No works, no donations, just the blood of Jesus Christ. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he bring somebody into your life that you can share this with, someone who needs to know the answer to these three questions and until next week i will see you hey thank you for visiting our podcast today both words from the wildwood and from the archives are presented to you by our family as an offering to almighty god in the hope that they will help you grow in your understanding of god's amazing word if what you hear has has been a blessing consider supporting our efforts by sending us your prayers and by letting others know where they can hear us on local podcasts. If you are in the U.S. and you are able to help in any way, shape, or form, please send any support to Richard Stidham, S-T-I-D-H-A-M, P.O. Box 1321, Baytown, Texas, 77522. If you are outside the States, God bless you and share Jesus with those that you can. God bless and we'll be back soon.